Good morning. My name is Renika Cheney, and um, I meet at the community group that meets at the Lanier's. Our reading today comes from Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanitha. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. My name is, uh, good morning. My name is Josh Kim, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we would love uh, for you to meet us at the guest table that's outside. We'd love to, uh, welcome table. We'd love to get to know you and meet our lovely people who will share more about what God is doing at Christ Central with you. So please do swing by our welcome table and meet with us, and we would love to share about what God is doing. Uh, Pastor Derek kind of stole my thunder away. We're going to talk about stewardship today. And I know as we were talking about this, maybe some people start heading out the door as we're talking about what it means to give, sacrifice, and whatnot. It's not the easiest topic to talk about, but we're continuing in our sermon series on community. And as Pastor Omari talked about last week, uh, we titled it a community, a mess, a mess worth making, because we think community has to be messy. It has to cost something, and it's not an easy thing. And we've been walking through different topics of what it means to build God's community in this church. Um, and as I said before, we're going to go to stewardship, and it's not the easiest topic for us to tackle on. It's not something that all the pastors would like to talk about here. That's why the new guy gets to talk about it, right? Not Pastor Omar and Pastor Howard. But here I am, I'm going to do my best, uh, to talk about what it means for us to be good stewards, faithful stewards of what God has given us in this church. I feel like me, uh, when you're driving around and you're listening to whether NPRs or it could be Christian Radio or Missions Hour, whatever it may be, any charity organization that says, okay, we're going to the fundraiser and they ask for funds and whatever it may be, my palms start getting sweaty, my knees get weak, and my arms get heavy. And I'm not one trying to rap here. If you don't know that reference, I'm sorry. But basically, I'm not trying to wrap there, but oftentimes I struggle because I wonder, um, am I giving enough? Or as I hear all this pleas for giving, I wonder, man, I feel so guilty about not giving. So I often turn, it, turn the music down or turn the radio station off, or in this case, maybe run out the door because I don't want to deal with feeling guilty about not giving enough. And I don't want to do with it. I don't want to deal with it. Rather, I want to come to a place where I don't have to think about that and just come as who I am and Jesus take me as who I am, right? That's what I want. 
we struggle with stewardship in giving because we don't want to struggle with guilt of not giving. Also, if you're like me, I still remember this fateful day. I used to love singing. I know you're like surprised by that too. I used to love singing in the church. I remember growing up in a church choir singing and believe it or not, I used to have a solo in my choir and would sing and all that stuff too and people would be blessed by what I sang and all that. But that fateful day, I still remember, right? The fateful day came as I was saying, praise the Lord, and all of a sudden my voice changed and it became praise the Lord. And I realized I could not sing anymore. And the joy of singing became a terrifying fear of being able to sing in front of people. And as I saw people coming to Christ as I was singing, now people started walking away from Christ as I started singing. And so I'm not going to sing anymore. But as funny as this sounds, sometimes we struggle with wondering, am I gifted enough? Like, do I have things to offer to this community? Like, my life is so broken as it is. What do I have, have to offer for a community what kind of gifts that God has given me. Sometimes I look at the crowd or I look at the, the praise him up here and I say, wow, praise the Lord for what a wonderful gift that they have and I have nothing to offer. And we struggle with not being able to offer perhaps what God has gifted us in. Whether it's guilt or inadequacy, our struggles can come from our hearts, the greed, the lust for shiny objects, materialism. It could be out of selfishness. You name it. We all know that stewardship is not an easy topic to deal with. It's not something that you sign up for to listen to on Sunday. Let alone talk about it openly with one another. But as we look at the scripture today, as we've been talking about what community really means, I believe stewardship is a vital component of what it means to build a community of Christ. Because stewardship is not just talking about finances. Stewardship is not just merely trying to meet the church's budget for this upcoming year. Stewardship is also not only about having enough volunteers to run our church ministries, as important as it may be. Because stewardship, as I see it in the scripture, is about discipleship. It deals with how you and I are to live with what God has gifted us and what does it really mean for us to take care or be good stewards of all the gifts God has bestowed upon us? And stewardship is part of what it means to follow Christ with the song that we just sang, with the surrender heart before the Lord. So what does it really mean for us? And this morning, I want to invite you to the desolate place near region of Decapolis, in the northern Israel, as we answer what stewardship really means for us in the community. First thing we see in this text is the conflicting head or the mind of the disciple. The morning story is a really familiar one. If you are through, if you've ever been to church, went to Sunday school, you know this story really well. Mark 8, 1 says, in those days, when again, a great crowd has gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Basically, this is a story about miraculous feeding of a large crowd that is very familiar to many of us here. But it's not only familiar to us today, but it was a familiar story for disciples as well. Because if you read through the Gospel of Mark, there's another feeding story that happens in Mark chapter 6. And the story sounds very similar. 
In Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus drawing the crowd and feeding 5,000 men and all their families. So commentators say most likely 20,000 or more with five loaves and two fish. Now, many Bible critics try to discredit the scripture by arguing that the gospel of Mark is inconsistent. Right? The story in chapter 8 that we read today is perhaps a copy of chapter 6. Basically, they copy and pasted it. They just were inconsistent on the details. Therefore, the Bible is inconsistent. However, as we know from the story as we see, but not only the small details are different, there are evidences that state otherwise, such as the word that's used for leftover basket in Mark chapter 6, it's a complete completely different word in the basket that's used in Mark chapter 8. In, in fact, the basket used in chapter 6 is a small carry-on, if you were to say, but a big basket in chapter 7 is a large basket. And the number is quite different, 5,000 people and 4,000 people. However, the biggest indication is in Mark chapter 8, verse 19, when Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Disciples said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, this is Jesus speaking, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And the disciples said, seven. This is in chapter eight. After this story, Jesus was teaching the disciples afterwards, and he himself is distinguishing the two events, the 5,000 and 4,000. These two are two different feedings. Why? Because Jesus says so, right? But there's also further difference that also teach us, that, that also leads us to disciples in the conflict in their mind, in their head. The main difference in the feeding is 5,000 and 4,000. You're like, okay, I get it, right? Is it about the numbers? Yes and no. Yes, it's about numbers, but the focus is on who is Christ feeding in this text. In Mark chapter 6, 5,000 are the Jews, the Israelites God is feeding. The 4,000 here is the Gentiles that Christ is feeding. And that's what we see in Mark chapter 7, because after the event of Mark chapter 6, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. This area of Decapolis is a region of Gentile land. It's a place of unclean people. This is a group of people the Israelites did not want to associate with. They didn't consider them to be worthy of the promise of God. So why is there a conflict in the head of these disciples or the minds of these disciples? Because if you look at Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, for the Israelites, it absolutely made sense for the Son of God to feed their people. In fact, the God himself ought to take care of his own flock. But now, as we get to the Gentile land with this 4,000 people the, Jew, the Jews, Israelites, do not want to associate with. As Pastor O talked about last week, Israelites did not even associate or want anything to do with them. The racism was rampant on both sides. So when the disciples asked Christ in verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's not saying Jesus, you can't do this. Because think about it, right? A couple of chapters ago, disciples saw exactly what happened. 5,000 people were fed. So exactly they know what happened. It's not like they're going to forget overnight. But the question they're asking is not, can you do this? The question is, will you do it? Again, 
But now, not with the Israelites, but with the Gentile crowd, or the mixture of Gentiles and Israelites. And the question is, why will you do it with people like them? Why would you give and feed them? Church, why are we looking at the conflict in the mind or the head of disciples as we think of stewardship? Because when it comes to stewardship, or giving, or sacrificing, or serving, or volunteering, we often play this in our mind, don't we? Like, why should I give, right? It's like, I have so many things going on in my life already. Like, why should I volunteer? Let those other guys volunteer who are more gifted than I am. Does it make sense to me to give up a little bit of what I have to this community? What benefit will it come to me? And we may not be, and certainly not. I'm not saying we struggle to give out of the same heart as the disciples, this conflict that they had in their hearts of the racism. But we do struggle with giving and sacrificing and serving when we ask, is it worth it for me, or does it make sense, or how much can I do? If you're from the business world, we call this opportunity cost, uh, foregoing something for the sake of the other. And there's that conflict that happens in the mind of disciples. And that's why I think it's important for us to always revisit why we are called to be stewards of this community, especially a church like ours. You know, it sounds great on paper, doesn't it? Especially when I was a visitor, it sounded great. Diverse community, right? African-Americans, whites, Asian-Americans, all different racial ethnicities coming together in worshiping the Lord. What a great picture this sounds. Not to mention diversity in socioeconomic status, sexuality, cultural backgrounds, immigration, all this stuff. What a great picture of vision the church has. And we as a church community set a vision to grow in this diverse community but you know what, church? That's hard. That's why there's not that many churches doing this. It's not easy to wrestle with these things together a week in and week out, right? It's so hard, especially in churches like ours. And I'm not trying to say our church is better than ours. I'm not trying to elevate it. And I'm not saying that it only happens in churches like ours. But I'm giving you the realities of what it means to be faithful stewards in this church. And for some reason, for some reason, what the scripture talks about is that despite the struggles and failures of local church, and don't let anyone else tell you that local church is perfect, or if someone says, my church is great, we have no issues here, everybody loves one another, kumbaya, don't go to the church, right? He's lying, he's absolutely lying. Never met a church, uh, never been to church like that, never been a part of church like that, never pastor a church like that in my life, right? And you could ask all the pastors, they will say the same thing, if they're honest with you. There's no church that's perfect, there's no church, and especially here at Christ Central, Right? We got lots of issues. Amen? Right? Amen. We got lots of issues, right? But despite all that, for some reason, God's chosen vehicle of building God's kingdom community is through this messed up church. It's not because I want to be part of this, but because Christ died for it. And he wants you to be part of this for some reason. And he promises the church will be victorious despite our failures, if you go through the New Testament, it's not a story about this amazing church that's like amazingly growing. There are stories like that. But time and time again, Paul's writing to this church and says, you're messed up. What's wrong with you? I told you all these things and you're not doing it again and again and again. All right, Timothy, try. Okay, you're messed up again. 
And he continuously encourages them and says, because of Christ died for you, remember to live, and he has his promise for you. And the question, church, this morning is, church is not about great pastor, great program. Church is about Christ dying for this community. And the question is, are you called to this? Are you truly called to this? It'll be messy. And it's not going to be easy. Honestly, church, you're not going to get everything you want. But you'll receive all that God has in store for us. As Pastor Howard often says, you wrestle in the cage match. Not against one another, right? But with one another against the forces that we often tend to overlook. Church, the stewardship in community begins with seeing what God sees in the community of Christ and what God wants to accomplish in this church. And that's what we call a vision, a mission, a call. And starting chapter 7, Jesus is intentionally moving, teaching, preaching, doing miracles with the Gentiles. And in the process, it's training, calling the disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, for the purposes of Christ. And that's the mission. That's the call that he gives us. I know that we just had our new joining of membership, and I was, had a privilege of leading them. And what a joy it was. We love it, right, when new members join us. And one of the vows we all took as a member, and including them, and it's a stewardship one. They basically took a vow. We all did as members. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and to work to the best of your ability? Do you remember that church? If you're a member of our church, you took a vow to this, right? You say you will work to the best of your ability. If you're a member of this church, you took this vow to tackle stewardship in the community together. That's why you don't take this vow at home by yourself. You come in front of the church and you say, I'm taking this vow before you all. Not because I only want to do this before God, but we want to do this together. And you bow before God to say, yeah, this is my church, my call, my vision. Not just Pastor Howard, Pastor Mark, Pastor Derek, or the elders, deacons, women, shepherds, or the leaders, or just adults. The children included, every single one of us here, we're called to this. We're saying, this is mine, my church. We're going to wrestle with it. We're going to struggle with it. It's a family that's committed to work out. Conflict? Absolutely. What kind of family doesn't have conflicts? Conflicts, yes, but wrestling together and growing in it? Absolutely. And we're in this together. Church, can you not give up? Don't give up, right? Let's persevere together. That's where stewardship begins. It matters that you're part of this. It matters that every single one of us commit to the calling of Christ in this church. That's where community and that's where stewardship begins in the body of Christ. The second thing we see is not only the conflict in the head of the disciples, we also see the compassionate heart of our Savior. You have heard this often. The furthest distance that we travel is from here to here, right? Sometimes that's the, the, the farthest path that we must travel. And here, Jesus doesn't merely feed the, this, uh, the crowd because it makes sense, right? He just doesn't do it because... Okay, I'm sent for this purpose. I'm going to do it. Not, yeah, he does that. But not only because of that, his motivation is deeper. And we pick up in verse 2. It says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And these three words in English uh, language and one word in Greek, he says in verse 2, shows us our Savior's 
compassionate heart. His motivation, why he moves the way he does, why he's going to feed the crowd. And as one commentator pointed this out, that this is the first time and only time in the Gospels where Jesus declares in this narrative, um, I feel compassion in the first person. There are many references to Jesus having compassion throughout the Gospels, but often in a third person, such as Mark 141, Jesus felt compassion. Mark 6, he saw the crowd and had compassion. Jesus felt compassion in Luke 7, verse 13. And how did the writers know that he had compassion? Because he acted in a compassionate manner. But here in Mark 8, he looks at the disciples and declares, I have compassion towards them. It is to say, to declare to the watching world, I, as your God of the universe, your creator, your sustainer, savior, redeemer, have compassion. That's who I am. That's my character. And what is this compassion? The original Greek word does a better job in capturing what this means. In Greek, this word means the vowels, the inner organs, the heart, the gut, where you feel the deepest emotion is moved. Sometimes you're so moved, it produces a fear, terror, anxiety. You often say this, don't we? Like, I feel like I got punched in my stomach. I feel like I'm going to throw up. This is the deepest expression, not only of cognitive mind, but your entire body feeling the effects of it, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Here, it's used to express the feeling of affection, sympathy, pity, kindness, mercy, love, compassion. So why is this ever so important for us to know this? Because what motivates and what moves Jesus to feed the Gentile crowd, the normal Jewish men will have nothing to deal with. Why would Jesus want to feed the 4,000? The motivation is his compassionate heart, his conviction, this heart of love. And church, we know this. Not only does Jesus give out of abundance. Yes, he is the son of God. He could create the fish and the bread. Yeah, right? He could create, this is a creation miracle, right? He could create catfish, salmon, yellowtails, sushi, whatever, right? He could create that on the spot and eat it, right? But he gives all of him in this compassion and all of it to the point of death. The gospel message tells us not only he gives out of abundance of who God is, but he gives all of himself to the point of dying on the cross. And that is who he is. His compassion, his loving kindness, his sympathy, mercy, and love moves towards us. And church, this is the gospel message, that he loves us in his compassion to give his life as a ransom, to give his life in place of ours so we can live he was a faithful store of his life before God the Father in living his life with us sin and dying on the cross for our sins and rising again in resurrection because of his compassion for you and I, because he loved us, because he's a faithful store first, we can in response now be faithful stewards. As we experience the faithful stewardship of Christ, we can now respond in loving compassion to the community God called us to be. A little plug for our Women's Table Talk. I think it's one of the great things that we do at church. They're reading a book called Heal Us, Emmanuel. And one of the chapters 
is written by our very own Pastor Howard. And normally if I do this, Pastor Howard gets really shy and all this, but he's not here, right? So I can talk about this. Um, but he talks about this chapter, he titled this chapter called Amazing Grace and writes about Charleston shooting where Dylan Roof, the racist shooter, shot and killed nine attendees of the Bible study in historic Emmanuel Amy Church. What Pastor Howard wrote about was the talking story of the relatives of the victims while facing this cold killer, offering forgiveness. And to this, he writes, this kind of forgiveness and reconciliation requires the presence of a savior who has first come to those who have hated God and one another. Jesus, by his sacrifice, has reconciled haters and murderers to God. Basically saying, unless you have experienced the faithful stewardship of Christ, giving his life as a ransom, there's no way that these guys will be able to testify to the love of Christ. Do you want to be a good steward? Do you want to be a faithful steward of all that God has given you? We come back to this compassionate heart for the call that God gives us. We give our lives and take our cross and bring all of our lives under the authority of Christ, not because that's what good Christians ought to do, not because you just took a vow on Sunday morning and says, this is what I'm going to do, keep me accountable. But because you and I experienced the faithful stewardship of Christ, first and foremost, out of compassionate love for us. And the question we ought to ask as we think about stewardship is, church, are you overwhelmed with this love of Christ in your life? Are you living in the light of the gospel truth that he gave his life for you? That's the reality. That's the testimony. That's why we gather on Sunday. You give, you sacrifice, you love out of this love that comes from Christ first. And then, and only then, when you experience this compassionate heart of Savior, can you in response give, sacrifice, and love, and a compassion to our community. Are you overwhelmed with the gospel this morning? Do you hear the voice of our Savior saying, son and daughter, I have compassion on you. Oh, how we ought to draw near to the Savior who has compassion on his people. Oh, how we ought to listen to the prayers of a Savior giving thanks for the bread and the fish he's about to give to others. That's where stewardship begins. The heart, the compassionate heart. Finally, not only does conflict in head, the distance we travel from the head to heart is a far distance, but I think the further distance that we often have to travel is not from heart to the hands. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Not only listening to the story and the commands of Christ, but obeying and living in light of that truth. So final thing we see here is the costly hands of stewardship. The costly hands of stewardship. The beautiful story of Jesus feeding the crowd of Gentiles is highlighted by Jesus' prayers for the fish and the bread. Verse 6, he says, And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, 
And as they had a few small fish, after having blessed them, he said that this also should be set before them. And here, unlike the feeding of the 5,000, Mark records that Jesus prays for the bread and gives it to them. But not only so, after he blesses the fish, he prays for the fish, he also gives it to them. Why? Perhaps to indicate, since the audience here is Gentiles, and to show them, to teach them that everything comes from power and authority from God. But it also shows us that the bread and the fish belong to God and God alone. He is the one that provides it all. The definition of the costly stewardship begins when you realize that it does not belong to you. The costly stewardship's definition must begin by understanding that it does not belong to you. Whether that it is time, treasure, talent, all comes from above, including your children, your singleness, your family, your job, your status, your house, whatever it may be, does not belong to you. God is the author, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the provider, God is the ultimate owner of all things we're given. Our finances, our jobs, our future, our education, our ethnicity, our culture, our sexuality, our country, our world, our church, our community, everything about us and in us and through us, everything, all of our lives, God is the owner. And when we recognize that, and we realize that, that all of our lives, all of our gifts, all of our treasures, all of our time, our finances, must come under the authority of Christ first and foremost, that's when costly stewardship can begin. And on top of that, if it doesn't belong to you, it's so easy to give it away, right? Because it's not yours, right? You don't have to hoard it. It's not going to be yours to begin with. So give it away, right? But secondly, we also see this. Jesus uses the hands and the voices. I say the voices because he's passing it on, giving instructions, right? of the disciples in giving and feeding the 4,000. Rather than him just passing it out and saying, hey, come, come up, and I'm going to give it out. Rather than that, your disciples become the hands and the feet and the voices in grouping the people, and Jesus gives to the disciples to place it down before the people. And Jesus first gave to the disciples so they can give it away. And that's the second definition of costly hands of this stewardship. You are called to give it away. That's what steward is, to give it away. Yes, you have to eat, right? Disciples ate. We know that because later on they argue about, hey, how come you didn't bring the bread? So it's not like they didn't eat and they were giving it away. They ate too. Right? You have to eat. Yeah, I get that. But but they also learn what it means to be a good steward as they receive from Christ and as they learn to give it away. And here, disciples, they learn what it means to give away fish and the bread here in this story. But it ultimately becomes the message of the gospel. They're given, entrusted to give it away. And the cost? Their life. All of their life. Church, you and I are called to be faithful stewards 
in this life. And we're called to give our life away. And every season, you're called to steward your, steward your life well. And yes, your stewardship for a particular season may look different. For some of us, we don't have any treasure, right? You might have a lot of time. A lot of my college students here, right? We know you're poor, right? It's fine, right? Be poor. College, you're being poor. But you might have a lot of time and to treasure. For some of us, as our young ones are running around, you don't have much time. I get that too. But you may have other things, treasures and talent. All of us, Bible tells us, no matter who you are, are talented. That's a promise for me and for you. God has entrusted with all these things, and we're called to be faithful stewards in light of that. And it's not because how smart you are. It's not because you have this great network that you have or inheritance that you have received. It's not because you're so entitled to do this, but your time and your treasure, your talents, all belong to God because he gives it to us. Volunteering at a church, as Pastor Derek talked about, it's a nice thing to do, and we need that. But it's not just merely volunteering. It's a discipleship of following Christ. Serving and utilizing your talent is not only exercising and to grow in your skill set, but it's part of what it means to grow as a discipleship, disciple of Christ. Giving financially, not only tithing, but giving sacrificially, sometimes you're surrendering, maybe it's entertainment or a cup of coffee, whatever it may be, for the sake of the vision and the mission of God's church. It's not for the sake of charitable, tax-deductible contribution, but it's part of discipleship, bringing your finances under the lordship of Christ. Are you living in light of Christ's discipleship? And church, this has to be costly. It has to cost you something. Why? Because it was costly for Christ. And he calls you to that. And I think if your stewardship in this community is not costly, I think something is wrong. It's got to be costly. What does it take for Christ to feed 4,000? Yes, he's son of God, as we talked about, right? Maybe he could just make it. It doesn't cost him anything, right? But we know in order for Christ to feed this group of 4,000 people, it costs Christ absolutely everything. How is he able to be present in this moment to break the bread and bless the fish? Because he walked on the earth. He took on the human flesh. And as Philippians 2 reminds us, he, he empties himself of everything to the point of dying on the cross for you and I. So he costs absolutely everything of him to feed the 4,000. And he costs Christ everything that he had to give you all that you have. And ultimately, get this, this is the gospel truth. Christ, it costs Christ everything for you to have this life and the life eternal to come. And as he says, I'm going to take my cross, but if you want to follow me, take your cross and follow after me. And you're called to the radical, costly discipleship. It is a free offer of grace, but it will cost everything of your life to follow him. And church, our vision at Christ Central is that you become a disciple of Christ. My background, as you know, is I'm a Korean-American. I grew up in an immigrant family all my life. And there are things that I love about immigrant culture and things I absolutely detest about it. 
And some things I want to embrace it, and some things I'd be like, oh, what, what, why, why are we doing this? And one of the things that, uh, that, that my mom and my parents especially taught me was what it means to be a good guest. So as a new pastor of the church, sometimes I'll be invited to go to someone's house, and then there's conflict in my head, right? I'm like, I'm a guest. A good Korean immigrant child would do is bring something over, like whether it's uh, wine, salad, whatever it may be, and the host would say, don't bring anything. And I would have to say, oh, I want to. Don't bring anything. I want to. Don't bring it. It's this dance that we do. And ultimately, we say, oh, all right, I'll bring something, right? It's something like this. And some of you who don't get it, I get it. Right? I'll explain to you a little bit more about this craziness called Korean customs. But one time, I remember visiting a member's house, and then I had a great dinner. As I was coming home, I called my mom, because I want to be a mama's boy. Um, I called my mom and said, Mom, I, I care about you. I think about you. I remember you. I pray for you. How are you doing? And my mom just said, How are you doing? What did you do today? I went to Vember's house. And first thing she asked, Did you bring anything? I'm like, Oh, Lord. Nope, Mom, I forgot because I was so busy. Ministry is hard. Finance is tough. Whatever. Mom says, What's wrong with you? Did I not teach you well? What to say? Why? I, I can never look at you. Like, go apologize. Write a letter. Please apologize. That's not what it means to be a good, faithful person. Don't do that. And throughout my life, she has always taught me to bring something over. Okay, I'm not going to do that if I come to your house, maybe, because there's some things I do want to leave behind, too. But some of the things I, I treasure about that is the heart that she taught me. And one of the things that she taught me was when I come to the house of the Lord, I don't come empty-handed. And one of the things that she taught me was even if it's like 25 cents, bring it to the house of the Lord. And I was thinking, i got to teach my son this because there's some things I really want to treasure and pass on to. So the other day, um, my wife doesn't know this, but I got this envelope, and we made this envelope, and she wrote his name out, and I tried to explain to him what it means to give ourselves to the Lord and try to teach him this. I got to talk about it. I got to live it out too, right? I was talking about this, and then we have this piggy bank uh, that where he puts his coins to that his grandma always taught him to do so, and I was thinking, okay, I got to pass on this generation of what it means to be a good steward to my son. And I said, okay, son, I'm going to give you a dollar. Put that in there. He did. And then now take a coin out of your piggy bank and put it in there. And you know what he said? He looks at me and says, all of it? No. You know, no, 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 no. Just one quarter, right? He's like, all of it? No. Just one quarter. He's like, why not? And I was stumped. I was stumped. And church, don't get me wrong. Good stories. Good stewardship is being faithful, not just to our church, but to your family as well, right? Both in time, treasure, and talent. I'm not here saying, like, give, 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 sacrifice, 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 volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. That's not what I'm saying. Be good stewards. Be faithful to your family, but to also family of Christ. But don't we often forget this head, hard hands of a child? Perhaps God is calling some of us to recommit to our membership vows, to say that I own this together. I'm going to be messy together with these people. Perhaps God is calling some of us back to the heart of surrender and bringing all of our lives, including our finances, under the authority of Christ. Perhaps some of us, God is tugging at us to give, to live sacrificially, volunteer, to give your life, but it starts with following this Christ who is compassionate to us in this community. Let's pray.
As I pray, wrestle with that, church. Will you? You believe the Word of God is living and active, not because of my words, but because what the Word does in our hearts. The Spirit of God works through the words. Let's pray and wrestle with this and commit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, in response to the grace and the mercy of the Lord, I want to respond in this way. I'll give you 10 seconds before I pray, but commit to something. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be simply, I'm going to teach my child what it means to be a good steward. It could simply mean I'm going to sign up and volunteer. It could simply mean I'm going to talk to somebody about what it means to come under authority of Christ. Commit to, com commit to something as you close your eyes, will you? Father, that's our prayer, Lord, as we come to this place, acknowledging that, Lord, apart from you, we can't be here. And that, Lord, it costs everything of your life so that we can be in this place. That despite our brokenness, our failures, you still love us. And you want us to be part of this community. And, Lord, despite our struggles in this church, you love us. You love this community. You have a vision and a mission for us. You have a calling for every single one here. You're gifted every single one of us here. We acknowledge that everything belongs to you. So we pray the Lord in our heart of surrender, in response to what you have done, we give ourselves away. Strengthen your people, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.